Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. I am really excited about this series, Ever Wonder Why? Uh, We're going to ask some pretty big questions during this season. Uh, We're we're all going to build up towards Easter as well. And obviously, Easter answers the biggest questions that there is. But this one that I'm kicking off with today is a beauty of a big question. And I want to introduce you to Epicurus. Epicurus was a Greek philosopher. I'm not sure whether he looked like that, but that's the closest that we've got. And Epicurus had what's called the Epicurus Trilemma. You've heard of a dilemma where you've got two challenges. He had a trilemma and his trilemma, as he articulated it, was this. First thing, if God is not able to prevent evil, then he's not all powerful. But the second thing was, if God is not willing to prevent evil, then he's not all good. And that caused him to have the third of his trilemma questions. If God is both willing and able to prevent evil, why does evil exist? And when you look at that, What we've all thought like that, maybe we haven't expressed it that way because we're not philosophers, but we've all thought that, haven't we? Hey, if God is not able, now go back, go back, please, please go back. If God is not able, he's not all powerful. But if he's not willing, so he's able but not willing, then then he's not all good. So if he is willing and able, why does it exist? And you and I have asked that question when we look at the TV, when we look around the world, and especially when we look in our own lives. And maybe, maybe you're newer to faith, And this is one of the big objections you have to faith. I get it. But here's the reality, okay? The problem of evil and suffering is not contrary to the Bible. It's central to the Bible. See, many people think that, oh, you you Christian people, you religious people, you you just don't live in the real world. You live in this make-believe, fairy kind of, in a land far away, like a Star Wars kind of thing, in a galaxy far, far away. Or, and we all live happily ever after. But the problem of evil and suffering and pain is not contrary to the Bible. It's absolutely central to the Bible. This is my assertion. Christianity makes sense of, gives meaning to, and offers a solution for the evil, suffering, and pain we all experience. But you know, the reality is, we can talk about it in theory, but when you and I go through things where we got that diagnosis that we weren't expecting, when that person walked out on us that we weren't expecting, when that thing happened at work, when that friend betrayed us, when that person let us down, when that church leader hurt me and wounded me, when, when I believed that God had said something that was going to happen in my life and it hasn't happened, You and I ask a different kind of trilemma of questions. We say this, God, are you there? God, do you care? And God, are you able to do anything? And you and I ask these questions all the time. So where do we go when we ask this question? Well, we go to the Bible. And I want to take you to um, look at a character that I want to suggest nobody Maybe nobody, but that's a little bit strong. Not many of you have heard about, okay? I want to talk about a character uh, or, or some of his writings, and he's called Asaph. Not ASAP, as in do this ASAP if you're American, but Asaph, okay? And Asaph was a musician, all right? He was a worship leader. So obviously, he had skinny jeans and tattoos. And, uh, and he, he came from a whole line of worship leaders. So his legacy, his foundation, his family were all worship leaders. They were all musicians. They were all through the Levitical tribe in the Old Testament. It's the first part of the Bible, one of the tribes of Israel. In other words, he knew all the things about God. 
It was, you know, if, you, if you're old enough to remember Monty Python, anyone old enough to remember Monty Python? Yeah, my father and his father and his father's father and his father. It was that kind of thing, all right? He was from that kind of lineage of people who all knew God. And he wrote 12 of the Psalms. Now, Psalms, you might have heard of the famous one, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. But there's 150 of these little writings, poems, stories in the Bible. King David wrote most of them, but Asaph wrote 12 of them. And in Psalm 73, he articulates this question perfectly and brilliantly. And he starts off, he starts off in Psalm 73 verse 1 by talking about the goodness of God. It's a little bit like if you were here with Asaph, he would say something like this. God is good. It's only two seconds ago that we did this. God is good. And all the time. God is good. And all the time. That's how he starts off Psalm 73. But by verse 11... He's writing this. Let's look. What does God know? They ask. Wow. This is the worship leader. What does God know? They ask. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Anyone said that? I have. I have many times. God, do you even know what's happening? Do you even get it? Do you even understand the pain that I'm going through right now? Do you even understand it? Do you even see it? Do you even care? Then he goes on. Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Ever looked at that? Ever thought like that? Look at all these people. And they're so horrible. And they're so evil. And they're thriving. And then he goes on to say this. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? I'm really praying that the Holy Spirit will do what I can't do. Some of you are asking that question. Did I keep my heart and my life pure for nothing? And they did that. Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> but you know what I love about the Bible and I love about Christianity? It's so real. Like, like you got to remember, that's the worship leader talking. That's the person on the stage. That's the person leading others. That's the person whose father was a worship leader, whose father's father, whose father's father's father, a whole line. And yet he asks the reality, the honesty of the question, God, do you get it? Do you see it? Do you understand it? Do you care? Will you do anything about it? And you've, you've asked that. You've asked that. I know I have. And it comes to this question here. If God is loving, why would he allow suffering? I've been through this a lot, even in the last few years, haven't you? In fact, I was away speaking in, uh, all over the place last week, but it, one of the things was in Ireland. And I talked to a bunch of leaders about the last three or four years and took them back to COVID, which they didn't want to go back to there, but I took them back and said, there's some things that we only ever learn in the storm. Isn't that right? And through the storm of pain and suffering and difficulty, when, when you know, someone close to you does die, like that happened to me right at the start of COVID, and then people really close to you get a diagnosis that nobody saw coming. That happened during that season as well. And a whole load of other things. And I know there are many of you who are asking that question today. If God is loving, why would he allow suffering? And you're not just asking it out there. Like, why would he allow the war in Ukraine? I don't know the answer to that. Why would he allow the situation in Gaza? Huge things. But you're asking, why would he allow this in my life? Why don't you step in, God? Why did you allow it? To happen. I want to do a little bit of theory first and then hopefully get practical. Number one, let me say this. If love is a choice, suffering has to be a possibility. If love is a choice, 
Suffering has to be a possibility. If God loves us so much that he created the world and gave us the gift of free will and choice, we have to understand that with that gift comes suffering. The only way love is possible is if there's a choice. God didn't want a rock or a robot. He wanted a relationship, which is why he created us for a relationship. And he gave Adam and Eve, which were the first people, the Bible says, that existed on planet Earth. He gave them free will and choice. And then something happened and one day God comes into the garden to look for them and they're hiding. It's the first game of hide and seek in history. Now, when I play hide and seek with my uh, nearly four-year-old granddaughter, Tally, okay, it's so funny because she says, granddad, she says, granddad, she calls me. She says, granddad, you've got to count and I'm going to hide. And she goes and hides and then I count and then I come and I say, coming ready or not? And I walk in the bedroom and I'm saying, is she in here? And she says, I'm hiding under the bed. Hasn't quite mastered the rules yet. But she says that because she wants to be found. She wants relationship. But when God rocked up to the garden that one day and asked the question, which he knew the answer for, he never asked the question for himself, he always asked it for us. Where are you? They're hiding. They didn't want to be found. Because God gave them free will and a choice and the free will was you can do anything you want in the garden, just don't touch that one tree. And they did, because that's what love does. It gives you the possibility of choice. And because of that one choice, suffering, pain, evil came into the world. Now, before you get too judgy about Adam and Eve, let me suggest, if you and I had been those first people, it would have been exactly the same outcome, wouldn't it? Because how many of us are given free will and choice and don't exercise it in the way that God wants us to? I know I have. So if, if love is a choice, suffering has to be a possibility. The second big idea is this. If there is no God, who decides there's evil anyway? If there is no God, who even decides whether anything's evil or not? Anyone got a younger brother or sister? I'll be careful because I know there's some on the front row here. So I've got a younger sister. She's not here at the moment, so I'm going to tell this story. And uh, when, when we were young, okay, she's four years younger, which is fine when you're older, but when you're like 15 and she's 11, it's really annoying, isn't it? And anyway, one day we are walking over the shop and as we walk around the shop, she's going on and on and on and on and on. And, and I'm frustrated with her. And I just lashed out like that. Just, just stop it. And as I lashed out, I caught her in the mouth. I know it's terrible, isn't it? Please don't report me, okay? <laughs> I have asked for forgiveness. And she, her lip starts to bleed. In that minute, what does she say? I'm telling. <laughs> That's exactly what she says. She's telling mom and dad, isn't she? And in that moment, she's got me. Because when you've got parents, you've got authority, you've got a standard which can tell you what's right or wrong, or you should have. In that moment, when she says, I'm telling, I'm in trouble. So for weeks and weeks, she gets me to do everything she wants me to do. <laughs> All of the jobs that were hers. Oh, I'm over it. I'm over it. I've forgiven her. I've forgiven her. But that's because there's a point of moral reference. There's a standard. And here's the thing. We only know there's evil and suffering in the world because there is a God. And we've got a point of reference. So actually, if we're truly honest, the presence of pain and suffering is not evidence of the absence of God. It's evidence of the presence of God. Because we now know what's right, wrong, what's evil and what is good. But now I want to bring it closer in. Why do bad things happen to good people? Anyone ever heard that? Why do bad things happen to good people? I get that. I understand that. But let me just say one thing, which I don't know whether you've ever thought about this. Who's good anyway, really? 
I mean, who defines what goodness is? There can only be, if there's, if there's God, then actually it's a comparative and a relative statement anyway. We say, oh, they're such a good person. But that's our definition of goodness. It's not God's. In fact, I want to suggest to you there's, that something bad has only ever happened to someone truly good once. Do you get that? Something bad has only ever happened to some, someone who was truly good once in human history, and that's Jesus. And that's what we're going to celebrate in five weeks' time. That's why in this next few weeks, as we ask these questions, ever wonder why, we're building up, we're building up to that weekend when we remember the only one who is truly good. And something horrendous was placed upon his life. Something bad happened to him who was the only one who was truly good in order that you and I could have a relationship with God. That's why we call Good Friday good. It wasn't good for Jesus. It was really good for us. And what I want to say is, I want to encourage you, and just, just a little aside, if you're part of Life Central and you're here and you're online or you're in one of our sites, we've created some flyers, we've created some of these little businessy card things, ever wonder why. I really want to encourage you, over the next few weeks, start inviting your world. Invite your world on Sunday, and as we get closer to Easter, we'll give you more resources so you can invite people to Easter Sunday. Because actually, every single person on planet Earth is asking these kind of questions. Whether they say they're a believer in God or not, what, why is this happening? And, and listen, I, I don't know. Why is the Gaza, Palestine, Israel thing still going on? I don't know. Why, why have we, has it been two years that the war in Ukraine? Why is it the, the shootings that go on? Why is it the things happen to kids? I don't know all the answers to that. But I do know, I do know that God is good. Even when it doesn't feel like, thank you, that wasn't for that bit there. But, but thank, one of you is listening, that's really good. <laughs> so, if, if something bad only happened to someone good once, let's think about that. He was born into poverty from royalty. He was born into vulnerability from authority. He was mocked as a bastard child. Don't hear that word very often, church, but that's exactly what he was. To an unwed young mom. That's our God. And he did all of that. For you and for me. He was rejected by family. He was abandoned by friends. He was wrongly imprisoned, savagely beaten, cruelly tortured, horrifically killed, put in a borrowed tomb, didn't even have his own tomb and yet he rose again. And that's what we're going to celebrate at Easter. And so when you think, why do bad things happen to good people? Think of Jesus, the only good person who's ever really lived. He suffered horrendously bad things so that you and I could have life. I wonder whether Jesus himself, even at some times in his life, said these three things. God, are you there? God, do you care? God, are you willing to do anything about it? Jesus said that. Actually, just go with me to the last night before he, he's, he's killed and he's in the garden. It says this in Mark chapter 14. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. God, step in, step in. He's saying, Abba, Father. Abba is literally an Aramaic word, which means daddy. It's not, oh dear Lord and Father of mankind. It's not that. It's literally daddy, daddy. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. You're all powerful, God. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. It's amazing, isn't it? And what did God do? Well, God came in and took the pain away, took the suffering away and said, chill out. Lion a settee, order a takeaway. It's all good. Didn't do that. Didn't take away any of that. This is what he says in Luke chapter 24, 22. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. 
That's my prayer for today. My prayer for today. I would love it. Listen, I love you guys, okay? I know lots of you. I don't know all of you, but listen, love you guys. When I hear, and when we hear as a church, as a family, as a, as a, as a staff team, as an eldership, when we hear of your pain, we're broken and we pray. And we wish that we could take away or that God would take away all the pain and all the suffering and give you a good diagnosis on your health and restore your relationship with that person that's walked out and help you and your family. We wish all of that, but we can't always do that. But our prayer is always this, that God would strengthen you. That's what happened. And Jesus didn't hear God say much, but that angel of God strengthened him. He didn't take the pain away. He met him in the middle of it. My prayer for you today, and it'd be great if God did take it away, by the way, but if he doesn't, my prayer is that he'll meet you in the middle of it. You see, you and I can never point a finger to God and say, God, you don't understand, because he does, because he does. Because Jesus, his own son, had all of that badness placed on him, the only truly good person. So there's something that I want to address before we come into land, and it's this, how do we, how do we, kinda, how do we deal with this issue of silence? Because how many of you know God sometimes appears silent, right? And it's like he's not speaking. How, how do we deal with that? Well, this, firstly, this is the story of the people of God. When I say the people of God, the, the, the Jewish people, and I'm not getting this confused, but please hear me right, with what's happening right now in Israel. Because there's, there's a different dynamics to that. There's different nuances to that. I'm talking about the people of God in history through the Bible, which include the Jews. But I don't want to get too deep into that right now because it's complicated. But the story of the people of God is a story of a people who God chose and yet for much of their existence, they've known God as a God of silence. In fact, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message translation, the Bible says, the story in which God does his saving work arises among the people whose primary experience of God is his absence. It doesn't just happen for the people of God, it happens for the heroes of faith. Anyone heard of Mother Teresa? All of us have, haven't we? In fact, her statue is, um, I shall see her statue in two weeks' time because it's there in uh, Tirana Airport because she's from uh, Albania originally. When she died, when the Teresa died, they, they found her diaries and they read her diaries and everyone was shocked because in the first year of her calling to work with the poor, she had visions of God, she heard God's voice, she had dreams, amazing. For the next 50 years, she hardly heard God at all. Her diary says that she heard him so much in that first year. For the next 50 years, she prayed all the time. She sought God. She hardly heard anything, but she kept serving people anyway. Wow. How do you do that? And then silence also happens to really good friends of mine as well. In fact, I was reading a book through, through Lent. Just finished reading it. It's a book that's been out a few years. It's by a guy called Pete Gregg. Some of you know Pete Gregg. And it's called God on Mute. Great book. And he's got a devotional, Lent devotional that I'm using for Lent for myself. And in the book, he talks about a friend of his who was a friend of mine called Rob Lacey. In fact, Rob Lacey, some of you will remember, came to this church many times. He was an actor. He was an amazing guy. I should get upset in a minute. And Rob died of cancer, which came back two or three times. And, uh, and the last time it came back, and when it finally took him, he died a month before his second child was born. And he was a great man, an incredible man. Loved Jesus. Just, just was amazing. And I'm reading this book again and it's bringing all of that back. And Pete says in the book, he says some, some friends of, of Rob's uh, called Ben and his wife. And it says, it's at Rob's bedside, Ben and his wife realised that the presence of God is neither a feeling nor a theory, but a physical reality fleshed out in our lives when we share in Christ's sufferings with love. 
Ben and his wife had become God's language of love to a man about to die. And Rob Lacey has been and is God's language too. I don't understand that. We prayed for Rob loads of times. I don't understand why God took him. We prayed for people in this church and we really believe that God would heal them. And they're in heaven now with him. They're healed, we know that. But it still hurts, doesn't it? And that silence we have to get to grips with. The people of God had it. The heroes of faith had it. Friends of mine have it. I have it. You have it. You and I have to learn to deal with the silence of God. So what do we do with the question of why God let it happen? What do we do with the question of why God let it happen? Well, let's go back to Asaph. Let's go back to our worship leader friend. Do you remember that? Skinny jeans, tattoos, that one. Remember that? He started with talking about the goodness of God. Then he gets really real and honest. Well, then in verse 16, he says this, look at this. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have the questions. He's got all the answers. It just means he's put himself in the sanctuary of God. He's put himself in God's presence. I'm going to say to you, when life sucks, don't go away from God. Go towards him. When you've got questions and pain, I've stood in church sometimes and I've worshipped God and on the inside, I'm screaming at God. I'm saying, God, you know, whenever we sing that song we sang this morning, Jesus for my family. You know, when, when Simi was diagnosed with autism and all the stuff that he's diagnosed with years ago, you know, we, we ask God all kinds of questions of why and 28 years later, I'm still asking those questions. In fact, since Christmas, it's been terrible. He's been really self-injurious. Really, uh, it's, every single Saturday has been awful, apart from yesterday. Yesterday was the first Saturday since Christmas that we've come home and not cried. And there's lots of times I've said, God, but I'll tell you what, I don't know all the answers, but I'll tell you what, going away from God is not an answer at all. I'm going to come with my pain, with my questions, with all that stuff, and I'm going to come in at the sanctuary of God and say, God, I know you're good. I know you're good. And I want to receive your goodness. And that's what Asaph did. And he says, I entered the sanctuary. Then I understood their final destiny. So all those people that look like they're thriving and, and earning and all that stuff. And you feel a little bit, you know, just, hey, hey, perspective is everything. And then he says this, and I love these words. And this is for you. This is for somebody today. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What we have in God is greater than what we don't have in life. And if you don't have good health right now, but you have God, that's greater. If you don't have a relationship in your life, but you have God, that's greater. If you don't have kids that are all nice and tidy and like everybody else's kids appear to be, but you have God, that's greater. If you don't have a job that's helping you pay the bills and you're struggling and you're striving and you're you're scrimping and you're saving, and you have God, that is greater. And we need to come into that experience where we say, God, don't understand it all. And it doesn't make any sense to me, but without you, it makes no sense at all. Whom have I in heaven but you? Whom have I in heaven but you? Let me give you three practical things and then I want to pray for you. Number one, remember silence doesn't mean absence. Just because God's silent doesn't mean He's absent. Psalm 34, another Psalm not written by Asaph from the message. Love this. If your heart is broken, and some of you are, 
You'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, He'll help you catch your breath. That's our prayer for you today. If you're kicked in the gut by life, He'll help you catch your breath. Remember, silence does not mean absence. But number two, remember pain can bring purpose. Pain can bring purpose. Alison was chatting to somebody this week who going through incredible suffering and difficulty. And, and Alison came away saying, I went to visit them. Actually, they've encouraged me. Because they were talking about how actually we've got to do something with our suffering. We've got to invest our suffering. We've got to redeem the pain. We've got to do something with it. Um, I, I put it this way. If you let pain, your pain consume you, it will define you. And actually what we do with our pain is, yes, it hurts us and it hits us, but then we say, but God, what am I gonna do with this pain? What am I gonna invest with this pain? How am I gonna help others through this pain? That's a practical thing you can do. And then number three, remember something better is coming. Amen? Come on, something better is coming. If you know Jesus today, something better is coming. The Bible puts it this way, Revelation 21. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. That's coming. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> the problem of suffering is not contrary to the Bible. It's central, central to the Bible. And Christianity makes sense of, gives meaning to, offers a solution for the evil, the pain, and the suffering that we all experience. But it isn't up here, it's in here. It's not up here. We can grapple with that, we can wrestle with that. I'm ho I hope that some of that has helped you. But ultimately, what will really help you isn't up here, it's here, right? When we say, God, I'm gonna come in the sanctuary again. God, I'm gonna come to you again. And Lord, would you do what you did for Jesus? You didn't take the pain away, but the angel came and strengthened him. And my prayer for you today is that the Lord by His Spirit would come and touch you. My prayer for you in Bromsgrove, in Cliberry, those of you watching online, is that the angel of God will come and touch you and strengthen you right now. Can we close our eyes for a moment? We've got a little bit of time and I don't want to skate over this. This is a massive issue, subject. For some of you, it's too painful to do anything with now. I get it. Some of you, you might want to sit and pray with somebody at the end of our time together as you go out and everyone gets a drink. Just turn left, don't turn right, turn left. Into that little room there, there's some people who are ready and waiting for you. But I sense that there may be some of you who right in this moment now, you know that this is relevant for you right now. God has spoken to you and I want to invite you to receive a touch from Him today. Not from me, but from Him. So if that's you, I want to invite you to stand where you are. And if you're in Bromsgrove and Cliberry, I want to invite you to stand. And if you're online, maybe put a little hand emoji. Someone will send you a link because we want to pray for you. But if that's you, I want you to stand. Because we're going to pray that the angel of the Lord will strengthen you today. It's not because you do anything wrong. No shame here. It's that you know that there's stuff going on in you and you're asking that question, God, why did you let it happen? You don't ask it every day, but you are asking it right now. And God, by His Holy Spirit, wants just to touch you and maybe not take it all away, but to strengthen you. So what I wanna do is, if you're sat around people who are standing, could you just open your eyes for a minute? 
And don't freak them out, but just gently put a hand on the shoulder and we're going to pray for one another. And in Bromsgrove as well, you do that in Bromsgrove and you do that in Clibbery and you do that online as well. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, only you, only you, only you can take pain and turn it into something. Only you can bring comfort. Only you, God, in that silence, in that absence, only you, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you touch hearts for moms in this room, grieving for kids? for dads, for sons, for daughters, for brothers, for sisters, for husbands, for wives, for those grieving for what could have been, for what might have been, maybe for what should have been. God, would you come? Bring your spirit. I pray for healing. I pray for restoration. God, I just pray that you let them catch their breath. Let them catch their breath. Send them in the right direction, I pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? You are so good. Even when it doesn't feel like it, you are so good. And Lord, I pray for these amazing people. They are not on their own. They're not on their own. We've all asked this question. We will ask this question or we are asking it right now. And God, I pray that in the middle of that, Lord, they would know your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I invite you all to stand with me, guys? I want, to, I want to invite you, hey, do something with what you heard today. I am trying to do something with this myself, processing some stuff, and it's not always just a old pray and, and it's all done, but those are key moments. And what we do with what God said is really important. Don't leave it here, take it with you. But as we close, I've asked the band to do a song that we haven't sung for a while. And I know when this song came out, I struggled to sing it. And I know some people really struggled to sing it. In fact, I remember some of our worship team struggled because of stuff they were going through in life, which was really horrendous. And I get it why it's such a difficult song to sing. But again, it's the kind of thing where it's it's, it's a mystery really, where we know it to be true, but our experience can be different. And, And that's called faith, isn't it? It's called faith. It's not denial. It's not denial. It's faith. I'm choosing to sing this even when I don't feel it. So we're going to sing a song about the goodness of the Lord, okay? Not the one that you think it is, but another one. Because here's the truth. God is good. And all the time. God is good. And all the time. 